This episode is not suitable for children. In psychosis, I'm convinced that I can grow my own toe back and that I can walk without a foot splint, both of which I can't do. In the mental hospital the second time. I love the fact you had to just like clarify that you couldn't regrow your toe. Anyway. <laughs> I would no, but I was so convinced I have to say it. Like in the second time that I was put in hospital, another lady on the set put that was put on the same medication as me in psychosis the same as me and I was like we're connected to the same consciousness she like had some food in her hand as we were walking down the corridor and she looked at me and she dropped her food screen and said your toes growing back I can see your toes growing back and I was like and I replied I know In 2014, today's guest was hit by a car that was travelling 162 kilometres an hour while standing in a bus stop in Birmingham she woke from a month-long coma to learn that she'd need a wheelchair for the rest of her life and her oldest friend Rebecca had been killed at the scene. They were 21 years old. The first five months in hospital was immensely painful, not just from the brain injury, broken bones, nerve injury and grief, but mainly because of the unusual phenomenon where bones were growing throughout the muscle of her right hip and fusing it. Five years post-accident, she developed mental health issues which included psychosis and stays in mental health facilities. Episode 76, Harriet Barsley. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in, so bring on the inspiration. Hi Harriet. Hey Fiona. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Oh, I think that we sounded like it was the start of a bloody sex chat or something like that the way that we said hello then. we can redo it sorry i just i thought it was oh, funny no. i'm just amused <laughs> go again go again no i think i quite like that we might leave it in <laughs> i'm sure the listeners liked it too <sighs> i wonder if we could make us sound raunchier hi harriet i'm no oh, longer participating Oh, that's so fun. Um, Well, thank you for coming on because you've got a fairly extraordinary story of overcoming adversity and it all sort of started eight years ago um, when you were at a bus stop. Why were you at the bus stop to start off with? So I had just completed my degree the day before. I was 21 years old, came back to my hometown met my oldest friend and we were going to the centre of Birmingham in the UK to um, go to a friend's hen party. So the, that was the day of the hen's party? Mm-hmm. We, right. I, so, so big traumatic, the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to me, like it's one of those things that people say like, what if, you know, would you have changed it? And funnily enough, I can't remember, I can't remember deciding this, but all the hen, all the other hens or the other people that had gone to the hen party had gone to an earlier event and, and we were like, no, no, we'll just, we'll meet you in the evening. And it's the whole, hmm. if we'd, it's, you know, what if, what if we'd gone to the, the daytime? Strange. I don't think you can live on what I've seen in life. You drive I know yourself, I don't. You know, baddie, if you do that. Yeah, mm. yeah. But a so lot you're of at people the bus said stop. It to me. Sorry. I think it's probably a natural response for people to say, and it's a natural thing for people to think 
in terms of going through, like, it, I wouldn't be surprised if you thought that, for example, you know, I would think that if it was me, but I think that you can get yourself into that. Like it, it doesn't change it. You know what I mean? That what if mm. situation. Hmm. So you are about to go to a hen's and you're at the bus stop. So I don't remember it. I don't remember the evening. I don't remember the weeks leading up to it, finishing my degree, any of it. Um, That's from the brain injury? That is from the subarachnoid hemorrhage, brain right. lead, and brain, it's like apparently a stroke on the brain. Cause my brain so so we were, Let's talk about what happened yeah, and then we can yeah. talk about the injuries. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to jump in. All right. So... Standing at the bus stop about 7.30pm on a sunny, sunny summer's evening that we were, with the bus stop was by directly, behind, directly next to a park full of families, kids and mums and dads playing in the summer's evening. A car came round the corner and hit the bus stop, which me and my friend Rebecca were standing in at. 101 miles an hour. No, I looked we, that up. That is 162 kilometers per hour. So, I, I can't. We're metric the, system out yeah, here, which yeah, you I should be as well over there. <laughs> I, I can't do this. So, I don't know. I can't translate this, but so. 162 kilometers. It's bloody fast, too fast. No, here's my it's fun ridiculous. fact in, 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 in miles per hour. And then you can okay. see if you is is a uh, fun fact. If you hit by a car at 40 miles an hour, there's a I love a the nine... fact that it's a fun fact and we're talking about getting hit by a car. You, that's a very interesting stretch that you've just done, Harry, but I'll let you go with your fun fact. <laughs> we started with a sex school, I think it's. <laughs> No, I didn't. We didn't start with a sex call. I said it's had a raunchy as if it was. <laughs> Although saying that, I've got no reference point, so you know. <laughs> Sorry, okay. we're interrupting and we're digressing. Okay, so your your interesting My fact, fact about interesting fact. Yes. So if you get hit by a car at forty miles an hour, there is a ninety percent chance that you'll die. I got hit by a car, one hundred and one miles an hour, and didn't die and and it's just uncommon you can't it's just mind-blowing and then that then eventually later down the line led me to then believe that I had died and was dead and living in hell because no one survives that amount let alone whatever it is in your in your kilometers or whatever it was I don't know so tell me so 90 90 miles per hour what was the percentage that people don't survive so people don't so so it's if you get hit by a car at forty miles an hour. Forty, okay. Hmm. Ninety percent chance that you'll die. I was hit right. by a car sixty miles an hour more than that. Yes. So I spent like the first few years just saying, Should have died, should have died over and over again. Yeah. How did you survive? Should have died. And that then led to a mental health issue. So we were thrown fifty meters into the park. Luckily, I landed in the grass rather than on on the on the concrete side. I think that would have definitely killed me in a heartbeat. Um, the driver crashed into the park and got out of the car and repeatedly said, "Don't tell my wife." The crowd didn't respond very very kindly to to the man that had just driven into us, and he, he was clearly drunk and on drugs and. Um, 
but he was a, he was the third casualty that had to get treated by the paramedics. But so then there's me, my, Becky, unconscious, knocked unconscious, killed straight away. But still, when the paramedic arrived, had to try and save her, resuscitate her. And then I was next to her. Apparently, I was found screaming, which is a um. I thought I was unconscious. I didn't think it was in my memory, but knowing that it's there, so so apparently it works. So you treat the unconscious person first because I was conscious. And then like years down the line, I spoke to the paramedic who arrived on his own, and he said he tried to save Becky because she was unconscious and I was conscious. And then late, and a few like months or something down the line he was told that I had died and he thought he'd attended the wrong person because and it's just like and he suffered post-traumatic stress disorder and just lived with it oh. for years and it just like he just kept replaying it in his mind I was just like how long ago did you read like connect with him it was like it was four years later right so so he lived with that and it like it it messed up his relationship and his life and his like his work. Yeah, just... full PTS, mm. you know, from it. And I'm, I've heard like I find it hard to like take all. I've I've heard of the ripple. It's like the ripples. It affects lots mm. of loads and loads of people. My entire the entire area was shook. I posted like in one of the area groups on Facebook yesterday, and I've had like all of them say I remember this like it was horrendous like I'm just so glad that you're doing better like it just people I've meet people in the street and they are like yeah like you know I, I remember it this is what I was doing and this is how much it shook me and it's something that I can never really think about but because I'm, I'm focused on getting myself better and stuff but just how many mm. people such a bad road traffic accident affects I'm not surprised that the crowd didn't react um, kindly kindly to the gentleman only be concerned about his wife being told when he'd injured you guys. Um, Sounds like, I don't know what it looked like, sounds horrendous. Like I was told it was like the park was a bloodbath. Well, I think that if you're getting hit Mm. at that speed by drunken drugs driver um yeah it was not a good thing in terms of the scene Uh, what was the difference between how the car hit you compared to how it hit becky in regards to this the differences was it just that you landed on the grass and she landed on the Uh, concrete or did it the bus stop sort of protect you a little bit No, no um okay so the difference was because apparently I was fit and healthy and that gave me a strong reason to survive. But it was just the look of, or, or the unlook of where we were hit on our bodies. So mm-hmm. her neck snapped completely and she died on the spot. My neck fractured in the same place, but didn't. Like it's the fact that if you fracture, it can either leave you paralyzed or kill you. Or I can just, I survived. But when they, like when her mom and dad were looking at her, like they, she, um, after she died, her body was like very, like it was it was uninjured. It was just the neck. It wasn't like the rest of her body. It all, whereas I broke, I broke like most of the bones in my body and have like horrendous. And like my wrist was all like they'd never thought I'd be able to be able to reuse my wrist again. And just like it was a lot, it was a lot more external. Which is it's just yeah, just 
this slight difference of where we're standing, I'd say. Hmm. So you were treated, but you ended up in a coma for a month. Yeah, so they like put me in an induced coma, and then I just stayed in it for for, for a month. And I had I had like forty hours of surgery while I was in the coma, and and my parents were just coming to my bedside every single day, like hoping that I would eventually wake up. Um, because there was no guarantee of that, let alone what I'd be like when I woke up particularly with the brain injury. They were told brain injuries can be really bad on scans, but not so bad in, when they wake up or vice versa. And my brain injury was like a, somewhere in the middle. Uh, when I eventually... you go. I was going to ask you, did you dream or were you aware in an induced coma? Obviously, they've put you in that to help with the swelling of the brain. Does it help with the swelling of the brain or does it somehow, I, I believe it somehow protects the brain when it's swelling, you tell me. Yeah, yeah. I think they put like, I don't know, they put like, I didn't, people like, did you fracture your skull or have brain surgery? No, they put like a thing in it to measure the swelling and make sure it wasn't that bad. So I see, I never really, I I thought, well, I, I don't know why I got that. I don't know why exactly they put me in the coma. I think it was more because my body had so much to deal with. And, well, yeah, the brain injury. I'm not, mm. I'm not. Were you aware of anything going on during that month? Okay, so I'll talk about when I came to and then I'll, I'll say what it right, felt okay. like first. So when I eventually, because that was like how I, I've, been, I've tried to retrace what it could have been like. Um, when I eventually came to... My short-term memories didn't turn into long-term memories for the first two weeks. So every single day, I'd forget what I'd learned the day before. But also, I could like I could I could I couldn't really speak or move. I was lying in a bed, staring at the ceiling, and I had double vision, but I couldn't communicate that. Like I I was I don't know, like a potato. I don't know, like like it wasn't like I woke up and was like, "Hey guys, what's happened?" Like, I could barely. I think I said like. My first word, I think, was water. I was just like, that, and that was, that's yeah. all I kept saying for like the first few days. Could you? I know you said you. I know you said you 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 were um, messed up in terms of your bones and stuff. But were you able to move at all? Like, could you move? Did you try to? Uh, did you try to move and signal that you had double vision or anything? Didn't have it. I did like I just woke up and didn't have any energy at all. Like I just could. Right. So like, I, and I, I I couldn't look down and check that my legs were still there, and I was just lying there. And I was like, oh to God, that I've not been amputated because I had nerve pain in both feet. That like, um, which you kind of get when it's been amputated. And, um, no, the phantom. You were concerned that it was phantom pain. Yeah, I've still got that now, but right. but. But like, yeah. So like, I just I couldn't look down and check. I couldn't move a single part of me. Um, and it was like that for like in my head for like weeks. I'm like, I so it was very, very, very. I've got like a timeline on my phone of when I eventually was able to touch my nose for the first time. When I was able to bend a finger. Like these were all very, very like far apart things. Sitting on the side of the bed was like three and a half months in or something. Like it just was. The exhaustion. What were your parents doing at this point? Like, I'll answer your question. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah. Question about the about yes, the please do. First. I jump around oh. all the time, so I. <laughs> So do I, but I'm try- I'll keep us on trial to keep okay. us on track. We can both you keep us on track, Aria. I'll try. <laughs> okay. So you woke um, up and you're dealing with all, all of that. And then what yeah. was it like? Yeah. Well, so in a bit, I couldn't, I didn't know where I was. I like, and I could hear the occasional beep. I couldn't look around at all. And then eventually kind of saw these people wandering around and just thought it was a fake reality. Just thought, what, like, someone was just pulling my leg. This has got to be like, you know, the world, the like objects. It, didn't, it felt like I was on stage or something. Right? Like, you know, they didn't feel like real props. They felt like props and not real things. I just, that again set the precedent for leading me into the worst psychosis I've ever had. But I eventually saw my mom sat next to me reading a magazine. I kind of knew that, like, well, if my mom's here, like, this is real. Like, you know, and she can just so look was- after me. Was that the brain injury or was that the, just the cocktail of drugs that you were on that was sort of distorting this reality? So, like, again, like, so five years later I had psychosis and then I've done courses on psychosis and it's quite common for it to be five years later after something traumatic. And so because of the brain injury I got the mental illnesses like it wasn't something underlying before I don't have a history in my family um and that's fairly common but so I woke up and kind of was happy like kind of like mildly elated I'd like you know I I, I, I don't I, I don't remember being sad I just like you know I was like ah, this feeling of life, life felt so, like, raw and fresh and just, like, magical, like, in a way that then I started to get highs and then natural natural lows after highs that were similar to that. But, and, and then what, people what? asked what the coma was like. I filled in gaps of what it might have been like. It feel, Again, again, I found out that my friend died and I filled in the gaps making myself think that I can like, almost see the idea of heaven that we have. I could just feel like... I'm, oh, so, you were, so basically you're saying that you're unsure whether or not that was what you experienced or what you imagined you experienced. But I definitely have some feelings of what it was like to be in a coma. Mm. People are like, oh, I've read to you and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I knew it. I'm like, but it's all suggestions as well. Like mm. the power of suggestions mm. has taken, I'll never know what. But also, like, again, I've just tried to fill in the gaps so much so that it's given me like hallucinations and things anyway. So it's really yeah. hard. We'll touch on, I do want to go into the mental, um, and you've given me permission to do so, the diagnosis of organic mood disorders, bipolar and psychosis. But when you're waking up and your body's so broken and it just needs to heal, was that sense of elation, an actual sense of elation in regards to you survived? Or looking back on it, do you think that was the cock, that was the morphine and the ketamine or whatever they had me on? Like that was just the drugs. No, like, like so I'm alluding to it because it's a, the starting point, but I'm, I appreciate it. we'll talk about like, the physical stuff first. But it's also intricately linked in the sense that a few years later when I started not really sleeping properly and started to get these, like, if you don't sleep, you know, so I go delirious and go high, it felt very similar to how I felt when I woke up the high to in the in the way that 
way I understand it is that the brain injury is then like messed up some of the chemicals in my brain. I just get these weird fake highs and have done since the injury. Okay. The more when I when I started to have surgery and then had morphine after the surgery, morphine does a hell of a lot as well. Like I can't really separate it out. They um <laughs> first surgery that I had, they like did a nerve graft on it on and they told me for ten months that my foot my nerve was damaged and it would take three years for it to regrow. I'd be able to walk with it. And then on the ten month appointment, I went to review it with the surgeon and he said, "Who told you that?" If there was any chance of saving the nerve that meant you could walk normally, that would be within six week, six months. But we can do surgery to try and save one of the push downs or the pull up. And he did it, and then like told me the news after the surgery, and like the fact, and then I learned after ten months I would never be able to walk again properly after having been told that and kind of being like, oh, I hope so. And he told me that I would never walk properly again. And the morphine carried me forwards, and I was like, I don't really care. <laughs> I feel I feel good. Like I just I I've used that to propel me forwards. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So it's so hard to so untangle I, all of that. Yeah, I, like, and I suppose it's sort of so intertwined that it doesn't really matter. I suppose in terms of no, it's not this like is it was, how he felt. I, like it's yeah. if it was yeah. if I could separate all the injuries out and have one, I'd I'd be able to see it like clearer but they're all and then also there's all of the injuries my brain injury but also the emotional damage in my brain and the trauma that like I've had to adjust to whilst having a damaged brain has been a I had doctors being like you know like when I first got started to get sad they're like you know like or, or no I had challenges and people were like you know like what what's going on in your mind I'm like I've absolutely no idea <laughs> it's really yeah. I'm, I'm not like you can't pull yourself out and see it what were you, what were your injuries? If uh, we got there's you mentioned there was a bleed on bleed on the brain. Yeah, so what multiple, else were we dealing with? So there's multiple bleeds and bruises on the brain from when I was thrown and my brain shook about in my skull and mm-hmm. banged around. Um, I broke s- several bones in my neck. C one is the one that if you that that if you snap it. It either paralyzes you or die or kills you instantly. I, I fractured it and didn't, didn't have any of those things. Uh, C1, C2, C4, C5, C14 and 15. Wow. Broke my sacrum. Like I was in a, I was in a neck collar, neck cast or neck, a neck collar for three months while my bones kind of healed, um, which was horrendous. <laughs> um yeah, broke my sacrum, that's my tailbone. Broke um, collarbone. Um, I broke... So both of my lungs were punctured and filled with blood. I've had chest strains in both of them, both sides. Um, I was like... The, yeah, um, and then I broke... So my left humerus, which scar added in freckles years down the line. Bizarre. So my left humerus, my which is the top bone in your arm everyone's always like oh you broke your humerus and it's not funny right so um, <laughs> I broke I broke my right wrist 
which had to have three surgeries and they said I'd never be able to ask for change again the surgeon like which I then can and it's miraculous um I shattered my entire right pelvis so I've had to have reconstructive surgery and then an unusual phenomenon phenomenon called heterotrophic ossification HO for short started happening in my hip which happens when you have a brain bleed or lots of breaks in your body. And I had both. So bone formed in the muscle of my hip. It just turned the muscle to bone and fused my hip so I couldn't bend. Or like if I went to the toilet, I'd be weeing on my leg. Like it just, so that, and that was the most, and I had, I was on morphine every single, like intravenously and that bone growing in the muscle of my hip and tearing apart from the inside out was the worst thing I've had, I I used to ask the regular to just knock me out. Like the pain was too much. Why did um, they knew that that was happening? Why couldn't they just go in and cut it out? Okay, so it's cool. They were like doctors were saying, "Shall I finish the injuries first? And then yes, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and then uh, my right leg, I fractured the so that so the femur the top bone the tib fib the bottom leg part bone, bottom bottom the bottom part of the leg and severed the sciatic nerve so i can't move or feel the foot that i have on the left side the bone growth um they know it's it's fairly common with millet people in the military like if they have your leg so the, and it was a military hospital that i was put i was put into so militaries, um, people, if they have like their leg blown off, sometimes bone can grow on the end of it, like, like after a severe trauma and the bone's apparently really painful. Um, they couldn't, and they would come in each day and they would give me medication to try and stop the bone from growing, but they could, it was get, it was like a massive amount of bone and it's all of the muscle my hip has turned to bone rot. So it was, they could have, if they'd gone in and tried to take it out, because it was still very, like they said for the first two years because my body was still but like straight away for the first few months the trauma would just make it go grow more like right. it's like i don't i can't it's like it was growing because of the trauma and you're just causing yeah. more trauma so it's just gonna so when they eventually did surgery two years later they were like there's a chance that it's just gonna make you throw more bone your body's throwing bone out to heal it's just got a bit confused of what it's doing where it's going so it's overhealing. it's pretty incredible though when you think that your body's turning your muscle to bone absolutely terrifying i've got like so it's eight years later and i've got now got a meeting and surgeon again to discuss cutting out some more of the bone so that i can i can't reach my foot anymore or couldn't ever and I'm 29. I'm like, it's only going to get worse. So I'm, gonna, I'm meeting to him to like take out some more bones so I can hopefully reach it before it gets stiffer. And he's like, there's a chance that we can give you the movement, but there's also a chance that we'll remove the bone. It won't give you any more movement and it'll make your hip weaker for life that you'll never be able to undo because it is just muscle that's gone. Muscle doesn't grow back. <laughs> I've learned, unfortunately. It'll turn to bone. Your body will turn it to bone, but it won't regrow muscle. Isn't that crazy? It's, uh, it's kind of or it's kind of it's kind of is it or is, it's just like it's kind of like ah oh, like you're all confused, but you're trying to help my body get better by giving me some bones again. Like they're just in the wrong place. It's kind of cute, painful but cute. 
Yeah, I, like when I had surgery to remove it two years later. Afterwards, I was like, please just knock me out. Like it was the, it was like, oh, the worst pain I've ever experienced. And it starts, to, yeah, I don't know. I'm scarred. At what point after you woke up, a month after the accident, did you find out about it, Rebecca? So they waited until I knew where I was and they knew I could remember that I was in hospital, I could remember what had happened. It well, I wasn't really told what was happened. I kind of it's when I started asking more questions and had more brain power rather than just saying cold feet or water because my feet. Yeah. Um, and eventually, I I asked and I was like, and I had a feeling. I had a feeling from the look on my mother's face that something worse had happened or something or that. Uh, I thought I'd been. I thought I'd gone to the hen party on my own. Thought I was meeting Becky there. Um, every single one of my friends had got in contact. Like all of my Facebook had blown up from people from like I did a, a few four months abroad in Canada with loads of Australians, and they all got in contact. Then everyone sent their love, and it was beautiful. Um, but she hadn't got in contact, and like I hoped she was just away at university, just busy. Like you know, we, you know we'd been so close from the age of five to 21, that she'd just be off for, for, for uni for months and we wouldn't talk at all and then we'd meet back at home and it'd be normal and that's just what we did. And I just kept on hoping it was that, but but like I had a sinking feeling that there was like... And then I, I could picture things that like, oh, I was like, maybe she's in another room, like in a coma herself, recovered, like, you know, maybe she was there. And eventually mum just said, like, Becky was with you and she didn't make it. Did you did you really because it was a slow dawning of the situation, like did the enormity of it sort of hit you or because you were sort of on the morphine train as you sort of said it was kind of like a oh okay sort of a thing? It's a, that's an awful question to ask, but it's, no, no, it's yeah. Well, it's, um, yeah, I sobbed and I cried and I, I kind of like cried a lot and it but it so like it never really fully hit me again till I got ill like five years later because I knew instinctively in myself I was like regardless of how upset I am get being upset is not going to help me get stronger and better and I have to just get on with it like I like I can't Mm. let myself get absorbed by the pain which was so I just threw myself into like recovering and like doing all the hand physios and then eventually doing proper physio and just that that exercise was my thing anyway but then like five years later again it's just um I kind of stopped and like it all it all kind of caught up with me after all the physical stuff had stopped it took years and years of recovery afterwards of like surgeries and things and hydrotherapy and then that all stopped and then it just all hit me and I was like this is just the worst thing about like just, just the just the grieving for Becky was just the worst thing that like I don't like well, I'm alive like whereas like my physical yeah. challenges and nothing compared to what her family go through have gone through. I think that it's probably understandable that you just had to push that away in terms of and and stunted that grieving. Well, you stopped that grieving process. You didn't allow yourself to to grieve until that five year mark. Like I. I get that. 
had your parents told your friends not so if everyone's sending you Facebook messages, had they said, don't tell her about Becky? No, I, I thought that as well. I was like, there must be like, there wasn't. So apparently on the evening, there were people in the park that filmed it, that put it all up on Facebook, <laughs> that like, that that the police then later removed when I eventually was going on my like my phone to look at the messages of love and support I don't know I think like because my friends have been posting updates saying she's just come out of a coma she's doing this she's doing that I think I don't know it's also people don't really like to talk about death so I I think even if they weren't told to not talk about it people didn't want to yeah, I'm just surprised Bring that no up. one said, I'm so sorry about, you know, so sorry about Be- Becky, good luck with your recovery or something like that, you know, like I'm. Um... Yeah, no, I'm, I was so pleased that that never happened. Like, yeah, I don't, exactly, I don't, I don't... yeah. I'm just surprised it never happened, that was all. Like it's, it was a good thing in terms of your recovery and mental health in that time, but uh, it does surprise me after all these people messaging you not, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I like I've I'd never really thought about it. I like the main thing that I did on so I had my iPad in hospital was scroll down my own wall looking at people's comments messages and looking on Pinterest at funny things rather than scrolling through my Facebook new but also the news feed I didn't start going on till like six weeks, eight weeks after people if they were going to say, oh, it's they, if they were going to post about what had happened, they'd have said, like, it's horrendous and Becky died. That would have been two months ago mm. on yeah. the news feed. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I don't know, but I'm always just grateful rather than wondering why. I'm just mm. grateful that I didn't find out that way. You mentioned that it was a, <clears throat> you had countless surgeries and hydrotherapy. You also touched on it. it. Took you three and a half months just to sit on the side of the bed. How long were you in the hospital for? Five months. I think it was. I think it was. It was yeah. So, um, woke up coma, two weeks no, not remembering, and then about three months into it. I don't know if that's accurate with the sitting on the side of the bed. I can't remember. If, I, don't, I don't remember the timeline, but. Um, it was something like that. About three months into it, when I was due to move to a rehabilitation hospital to start um, getting my body stronger and moving, um, I, I started to throw up. Um, and doctors would come, like, I started to throw up and I was throwing up three to five times a day. I did this for just over a month. So I was throwing up green bar, couldn't keep any food down. I like, Doctors would come around and say, "Why are you throwing up, Harriet?" And I was like, "I don't know. You tell you me. Tell me. Like, make yeah. it stop." Um, and I was, I, w- I went down to seven stone on five foot six, and like I know, I like and exercise was my thing anyway. Like I knew I needed strength. I'm not. I was like, I, I don't, I don't, I need. I want to I wanna keep I'm it. I'm gonna in. have to do stone to to kilo now. I've got no idea what a stone is. 
Oh my goodness, 44 kilos. Holy cannoli. You would have just been skeletal. And I'm five foot six. Yeah, I was just, and it wasn't stopping. And it was, and every day, if I brushed my teeth, I'd throw up. If I tried to eat anything, I'd throw up. Even if I just had some food through the peg in my stomach, I would throw up. Like it just, I was like, uh, so, but then, yeah, and we don't know what, we don't know what happened. Partly the morphine, partly morphine made me constipated and I had to have enemas, like, three to five days for months, which is oh, horrendous. Um, but and I read somewhere like someone else had like an injury and then I went like they, it was the girl, it was a girl that was in a bombing and, and she like a few years, a few months after the injury, she started just throwing up for no reason. Like I just I think your body, like we just went again, doctors didn't have any idea why it was happening. But we, but me and my mum kind of just assumed that my body was just freaking out, trying to heal, throwing bone, having so much to work with, all the morphine, all the constipation, just all of it. But, but it was a long time to be throwing up green bile. Um, and then eventually, it, like I, it just stopped. It just stopped, and I moved to a, um, a rehabilitation hospital. Um, and the rehabilitation hospital, I was placed on. I think it was a brain injury ward or some sort of like. But it was with all elderly patients because they had similar like. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I can't, I can't work. Mm. Like a when you say like it was it almost like a dementia unit or something like that because you had memory issues or something like that. There were there were patients with dementia. There was a guy that kept coming to my room like when he was like sixteen. He was just like really really flay and it was cute and people were like no. <laughs> and like yeah, it was just um, dad neurological ward. I don't um, but so. Because I was in a hospital, in the section hospital that was full of elderly patients, the staff treated me like in a very inappropriate way in the sense that uh, they, you know, so they were used to dealing with elderly patients that like, you know, they'd come around and have to occasionally give them bed baths and, and stuff. And like they they would just encourage the, the, the patients to do as much as they physically could, you know, rather than bowing down to just not, not really doing much and just kind of like, you know, embracing just your body shutting down. Whereas I was at the opposite end, end of the scale in the sense that my body was trying to heal and I, I was 21. I, my, I wasn't being lazy, whereas a lot of these patients were lazy. So staff would come in and they'd be like on the rounds, like trying to like, and they would be like, oh, you know, put your socks on. And the bone that had grown in my hip meant that I couldn't bend forward at all. And I, I was like, I can't. They're like, oh, come on, try though. And it was a lot of that kind of, I was like, but, and I didn't have it in me to say, but there were, Look what's just happened to me! Like my life, I look. I just I felt like crying, but I couldn't like. I didn't really want to stand up for myself and say like, you know, leave me alone. Like you, like you're being really insensitive. Um, so that propelled me to work really, really, really hard to get out of there a lot faster than they expected. So I got out. So it was a total. But after two months in the rehabilitation hospital, which is five months in total months ahead of expected they just couldn't believe it and I just I was like I'll show you you think I'm not trying (laughs) 
Is that what they wanted though? Like did you do essentially what they were forcing you to do and therefore that proved them correct? No, like, I see what you're saying, but it was the, it was like the healthcare assistants and like the the, the staff supporting nurses, yeah, that were dealt with like all the cleanliness and hygiene and day to day routine. The physios were like were surprised that I pushed myself so hard and just impressed all the time, whereas the, the staff continued to just like be negative towards me through Hmm. It's, I mean, reverse psychology. That was still that still wouldn't be very nice, though, would it? It still wouldn't be nice if I was in the hospital. No, like... I just, I just think that if you ever made a complaint about it, and then they, you were like, I got out of there because that was so horrible. They'd be like, Well, that's we wanted her to get better. We did it, you know. Like I just thought that that would not. I think there's a way to help people and heal people and nurse people and care for people that doesn't treat them in an inhumane way and it sounds like you had the latter yeah I had so I'll give a one example like of just like my mom made a massive letter of complaint she was really upset my mom my mom used to be a nurse and so she understood the medical world and hospitals and that's good she was like yeah it was really really useful to have that really helped me especially at the start she chased anything but in this hospital she again she was she was outraged at how they treated me and that says something because she knew what it, how it should be and there was when I had um, a catheter I couldn't go to the toilet I couldn't get up and I had a nappy on for poos and I was lying in bed and I, constipation was the the worst thing like I was terrified of it just because I knew that whenever I couldn't go to the toilet I'd have to have an enema and just like the like invasiveness and the pain of that like and just waiting for it just it was horrendous but so I was in a hospital in the rehabilitation hospital and I pushed the buzzer to tell them that I'd gone to the toilet and then he did my nappy change my nappy yeah my nappy changed and they were in the middle of handover and they were like oh we'll 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 send the new staff and I was like and it and it, I waited for like an hour and a half like lying in my own it might before they actually get someone I kept buzzing and they were like no no we're going now and I just I feel my mom crying, being like, they won't change me. Like, I just. You're so hope- helpless and they're just letting you lie in your own excrement. That's awful. Yeah. That's awful. Um, so that all propelled me to work harder. It wasn't a trick. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it's awful. To, mm. <clears throat> did your mum write that letter whilst you were still in there? No, she waited until we we left and wrote, and there was a there's a massive loss list of complaints. I don't know. I don't know if it would have it had any effect, but like. But you don't even you but you don't want them to, not, then be not even have, more vindictive. Yeah. 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 Really sad with it. The physio, absolutely great. The hostel was nice. It was clean. It was like, it wasn't all horrible. But it was just a shame that that's my unfortunate experience of a lot of people in healthcare. Like they're all understaffed. They're all understaffed and overstretched. And they don't have the time or the patience to support people in the way that they need. And that's unfortunately makes patients suffer. Like in the first hospital, that my mom, look, my mom was there every single day outside of visiting hours. 
and luckily because they were also so understaffed that she would always see when they'd missed something she'd go and get me sips of water she'd when I was throwing up she'd bring me sick buckets and they wouldn't get there in time and I'd throw up on myself if mom wasn't there like it just I interviewed a um, a couple who the husband ended up with uh, contracted meningococcal and he ended up with sepsis and was a quad amputee. And the, the, not, he, they said that the staff were lovely, but it was just that they were understaffed. So <clears throat> we'll come back and feed you, but then they'd get caught up and it would be an hour and a half later. So the food was cold and stuff like that. So it's very like that. Yeah. So then it was... I mean, that's very different to lying in your own excrement. But then the wife took on more of the sort of the help and then the family's all sort of in the thing would help each other out if the other one, you know, if she wasn't in, then somebody else would help out and vice versa. And it's just, it's interesting. I think it's a chronic issue in terms of healthcare, the under, like how understaffed it is. But I don't know what the solution is because... yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I don't know either. Like, there's like there seems to be a lot of people in the healthcare system, but they, or training at university. But I did a like a mini documentary with the fire service um, about the recovery, about about the, the crash, and to mainly to they were like, we're gonna do this little video about twenty minutes. It does about the severity of it and then how I recovered and the people in the in the, the medical people and the physios that helped me with the goal in mind to try to go around so they were like do you want to go around to schools and talk about it and I was like not two years later not really I don't feel ready or want to like reconnect to the pain all the time so we did a video instead and the plan was to go and that they told me they, they will go around schools and colleges showing this video in the hope that it inspires people to take careers like nursing and fire service and ambulance like I just I think there needs to be more of that I think there needs to be I agree I think there needs to be more than that one of the the I, I used to work in the nursing recruitment field and one of the stop gaps they've done from a government point of view, recognising that there is a shortfall in regards to staff, they have offered um, people that come over on a particular visa and then work in the healthcare industry at fast tracks at permanent residency. But what that then does is it creates people going into an industry that potentially, not all, but potentially aren't, um, personality suited or going in for the right reasons. And yeah, then as soon they, as they get their permanent residency, those people that are in there for the wrong reasons vacate it. So it's it's not... Yeah, I can see that. I can see how that would happen as well. And that's a shame. But it's... it's and again, so I'm going around... I'm, I'm doing a public speaking course. I'm trying to get, start to talk about road safety because there's so many issues with road safety and all the deaths on the road in the same set and by using my story to get through to people and in the same mm. way I think like with the mini documentary to get more people to go into nursing and 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 fire service and police if kids at school were shown like you know how how they could impact it and how they could save people's lives rather than just being left to choose the career at some point I feel like if they were given more 
like tackling at that age would would in theory mm. have at least a slightly more increase in people wanting to do it. I think if you expose people to more options than potentially just business or become an accountant or become a you know a, Lawyer. a doctor sort of a you know like there are more career paths yeah. within it and there was a documentary that I watched um and I'm gonna get it it was like a Swedish one or a Swiss one I don't know some 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 European country and they did uni students in, within aged care facilities as for accommodation so the oldies got to have the fresh blood come in and chat and you know, so forth. And it was just a, an accommodation. I, from memory, I don't think they're working in there, but it gave them a different aspect. And it also exposed these people to um, the younger generations to sort of, you know, the oldies in the aged care facilities. And at the end of it, one of them ended up, he was doing, I think he was doing uh, architecture or something like that. And he switched and it was going to end up working in aged care instead. And that is more... I think that's one example of exposing people to that to a different industry that necessarily wasn't exposed before. And I think if those sorts of programs are rolled out more extensively within the younger years at school and not waited till sort of mid-adult because everyone's chosen their subjects to then go on to higher ed, then I agree with you. It may also go to, uh, one step towards you know, the bigger picture of the disaster, which is healthcare and the understaffing. Yeah, are there any plans to roll out that documentary in a wider scale? Uh, I don't I don't think so. They just left it. I mean, I can send it to you. <laughs> no, um, I, just, I just wondered if there was a, like who was distributing that, that documentary? So, so they, then fire service met me and they're like, well, can, can we go around and talk at schools and colleges and educate them? And I said, no, I don't feel ready. Can we do a video? And they said, yes. And then we'll take that round to schools and colleges. I did it. And they've never, never really told me like where it's gone or how it's gone. I'm like, but then I'm, I kind of hope that it's been good and been used and, and, but Not I don't really know. Shelf somewhere. But um, mm. no, but 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 it's also I'm I'm pleased with how much I kind of want to talk about road safety and the and recovery and how showing people they can cope with things to the point where I'm just going to continue to do things like whenever they come up, um, in the hope that it goes on a wider scale. But unfortunately, what? I'm I'm just a one one person. I can't be like, oh, this would be really good to share to share to the world. It almost needs an education minister to sort of push it or something like that within the schools. What happened to the driver? Did you ever find out? Yeah. So okay. So it was two drivers. They were it was two men, thirty thirty one years old, had got into a race on the road, um, a forty mile an hour road. They were driving 100 miles an hour for miles down the road so 60 um one they didn't know each other they just literally got into a race on the road like and one the the one that didn't hit us just drove off and eventually was found by the police and got given a year for dangerous driving he he pleaded that he that the like 
the insurance companies tried to get him to be partly blamed for causing the deaths, but but he'd put and conveniently stopped racing like like two seconds before or two, or like you know like a few five minutes before, so he was taken. He so he was not blamed for any of it. And then the guy that hit us, uh, pleaded innocent for the first however many times, and then realised that he needed to change it to guilty. And if you change it to guilty, you get a third off your sentence and all of the pleas for innocent get disregarded. It just it just reduces your sentence if as long as you change it in time before your it's decided. And I think the maximum for penalty for dangerous driving in the UK is it's 12 or 14 years I think it's 12 I'm not sure 12 or 14 years so then he got 8 years and then whenever people find that out they'd be like oh so he got 8 years so that's 4 years with good behaviour and 2 years with a tag on so he's out there walking around now so he never got charged with manslaughter just dangerous driving that yeah and that's a, that's a big thing we're trying to change that the um, it's, no, he got so the one that drove off dangerous driving. The one that hit us got charged with causing death by dangerous driving, which is not as severe punishment as manslaughter. I find it really bizarre because if you kill someone with a accident, with a yeah, it, I mean you can obviously see it's, it's it's still you've killed someone with a car accidentally. It's manslaughter. It's not something. If someone breaks into your home and you end up fighting for your life and killing them, it's manslaughter. But if you drive recklessly and kill somebody because you're being a dickhead, then you don't get charged with manslaughter. Yeah, and it's it's that's why I'd like... And everyone I'm listening just... in America, the rules are different in Australia and the UK. We don't have castle doctrine. <laughs> and that's why I'm that's why I'm doing um, a bit... It's not what, but I'm doing a, a... Supporting a petition to change it from referring it to road traffic accidents they should be called road traffic collisions because because it's the way we talk about it especially in the UK is is it was an accident somewhat like as if no one was responsible and as if no one could do anything to stop it but it's like if you've got into a car and you've drank over the limit and you've taken drugs and you've purposely speeded, you consciously chose you to drag, do all yeah, of the raced. things yeah. Yeah. that caused the, the crash. If you'd mm. not done one of those things, the outcome could have been significantly different, whereas you've got no control if someone breaks into your home. Yeah, that's like if, like if you have a drink and you accidentally like, I don't know, it's it's, it's so obviously wrong. If you if you have a drink and you accidentally push someone off a cliff, it's manslaughter. Like, but if you have a drink and <laughs> accidentally smash someone's car into someone, it's not. And that yeah, I don't know when you accidentally push someone off a cliff, but I get your point. I watched a program <laughs> and they had a drink on a cliff and they were they were angry at each other and he accidentally pushed her off a cliff. It happens. Well, was it, it filmed? Did he just it say was, it was accidental afterwards? It was a, it was a, it was a it was a, a show put on to be dramatic. Okay, was it like Midsummer Murders or something? <laughs> TV show. 
It was about how she'd pushed her best friend off a cliff accidentally and it had ruined her life. She'd gone to prison and the whole show is about her, like... So this was an like... actual situation that happened. It wasn't just a made-up TV script. This was no, like it was a made-up programme. No, it was oh. a made-up programme. That was just the storyline. <laughs> was it EastEnders or something? <laughs> <laughs> Stop. You're never going to guess it. <laughs> oh, goodness me. At what point did your mental health start to deteriorate to the point where you were sanctioned? Because you were sanctioned twice. Yeah, right. So I'd coped with it as as best as I could for five years. I'd had lots of surgeries. I've had seven or eight seven surgeries since. They were long, complicated ones. I've had recovery. I've had threats of amputation. I've had a partial amputation on my my cut off my little toe my fifth metatarsal they keep the military to keep trying to get down and take my leg more because it's like diabetic so I can't feel my foot so it's at risk of and it had bone infection and in theory I had sepsis but didn't know it like it's they keep saying get rid of it so I dealt with all these things I've processed them like you know I worked really hard to be okay with my physical situation and I used to be able to run I used to be athletic I used to and now I can never run again and I can never walk or stand as like very for very long periods ever again I use a wheelchair and I'm for long distance I use crutches for sure I have a foot splint for everything everything and I got to five years and I'd like I, I went and I started a master's in so my, my undergrad is in a degree in philosophy which has helped me be you know look at my situation and see if what it is I started a master's in the philosophy of health and happiness which seemed perfect realized that my brain injury meant that I couldn't keep up I couldn't retain the information philosophy is dense as hell like I just it was too intense dropped out felt like I failed and it's the only thing I could have done to kind of catch up with being normal like you know to try and regain some normality in my life because that's what I was chasing at the time became really sad or not even really sad like just you know just depressed just just flat no emotions I couldn't think of anything to say I couldn't think of, I kept the only thing I could think of was I can't think of anything and that was all I could think that every single second of the day every interaction was painful and I wasn't sleeping and then eventually I was so sad that I just was so like bad to be around there's no point me seeing anyone like I just and then I got to the end of the year and it was almost New Year's. And I was like, oh, I'm going to start this New Year's really sad. And like, you know, the pain's going to continue. And I stayed up all night one night and I went manic and just and it fixed me. And I was just back to being normal. And I'm back like it's just I could talk again. I was happy and well, not happy, but like, yeah, no, I was. I, was like, I could contribute to the society with my words, which is all when, when I, all I was ever focused on when I had nothing to say at all. Um, well, I had things to say, but yeah. Continued not sleeping, started to then and then and then started to hallucinate and started to have delusions, and then but they were all kind of like something rather than nothing. So it was like rather than the depressed flatness, it was still something like different. I was like, so I chased it, and then. Hang on a minute. You need to explain that to me more. What do you mean it was something instead of nothing in terms of the hallucinations? So all I'd felt was nothing for flatness for months and months. It was like apparently right. they are now like 
I've since had a since found out that was a bipolar low. It was like the work that and those lows are like they like freeze me in time and like there's no point in me existing in those in my mind. Like, but then I started to be mentally detached from the world and kind of have my own kind of like joy again or just there was there was things going around in my head that were entertaining I was like staying up all night and just like having these ideas and writing blog posts and just like feeling like a human again but not quite normal but better than not feeling anything were you aware that you weren't like this was um that I was ill yeah or were you just like uh, in that moment were you just I'm feeling better so therefore it's like that's good or did you did you know something wasn't quite right well like okay like but like it started with the whole when I first woke up with the coma I was elated and I was mm. had that and I've had little instances of it since I'd had them so often and so similar to that 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 just felt I just thought that was normal or like my new normal or how my I'd res- or my brain had responded to the trauma I thought it's just how I had to live. I didn't really talk about it with people because obviously I knew people would challenge me, but I just kept kept it. I don't know. Did we? So were you seeing? You, you've mentioned that you went into a psychosis. So was that hallucinations as well, like physical hallucinations? Sorry. Um. I don't know what was real and what wasn't in that time. Right. I, I So I drove my car in the middle of the night to, I was driving back down to where I'd had univer- done, done university to marry someone in my mind that, that didn't know, that I had met like once or twice. I've read about like psychosis, someone else, like, you know, like they, they'd planned them their wedding to someone that they'd just like kissed once or something. Like I was convinced I was going to get married, but at the same time convinced that I had to get hit by a car on my way there and die again, just relive it. That's just because I was living in hell. There's lots so- of... So the person that you'd gone on a date, a couple of dates with, that that was real. But the fact that you were yeah. meant to marry this person was the it's delusion. Yeah. So did you make it to this person's home? No, no, no. I, I didn't know where they lived. I just oh. thought. I, I thought. <laughs> no. Imagine if you turned I, up. What a bunny boiler turning up going, we're getting married. <laughs> oh, no, I tried. I tried. I drove around the area and kept just oh looking at me, like listening out to what I listened to my feelings. I was like, you know, I'll be able to work out where he lives. Where they feel. Just, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll feel know. it. I'll just I'll feel know. It. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I kept looking at people and I'm like, they look like that. That's him, isn't it? He's just looking at me weird because I'm being weird. But, you know, that's him. I'm, I'm in the right place. And it wasn't. <laughs> and then but, but but that was another so i drove around that place several times I, I this is a different this time fascinating i think this is fascinating harriet right yeah okay. i can i can really you should you should read more on psychosis it's like so like but the weird things that i've read about psychosis i've done quite a lot since is that we all have 
okay, we're weirdly overlapping things. Like someone else was convinced they were going to marry someone. Someone else, they're convinced that, you know, they can, they know where people are and that they, people can see their thoughts and there are lots. And there was, someone else was convinced they had to die and lots of things. To the point where when I'm ill, I'm like, but we're all right. I say to my boyfriend, but we're all agreeing on what's happening. Meet all the psychosis people. <laughs> it's very, it's very so empowering in, your... in a dangerous way. <laughs> so in your head... You've just come, right. you've just come into the 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 realization with these other people that the rest of the world hasn't realized yet. They haven't had that awakening. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But but I know. But yeah, it's it's really it feels it's really dangerous and feels really powerful. Like so, my foot doesn't ever work. We'll never be able to walk with it again. In psychosis, I'm convinced that I can grow my own toe back and that I can walk without a foot splint, both of which I can't do. In the mental hospital the second time. I love the fact you had to just like clarify that you couldn't regrow your toe. Anyway. <laughs> I was no, but I was so convinced I have to say it. Like in the second time that I was put in hospital, another lady on the set put that was put on the same medication as me. In psychosis, the same as me. And I was like, we're connected to the same consciousness. She, like, had some food in her hand as she was walking down the corridor. And she looked at me and she dropped her food, screamed and said, your toe's growing back. I can see your toe's growing back. And I was like, and I replied, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And then she could see it because we're right. But did she actually really say that? Yeah. She actually said your toe's growing back. Yeah. And she believed it. See, I I wonder whether or not I was more loose the second time, so I was just watching everyone else like say all these little things. I was like, "You're all right, really, though. We all know, and we all know the secret." Isn't that interesting? I wonder if there is some like some sort of a thing that you guys were tapping. Like that's weird. Like it's weird that you guys had. It's weird that our brains disintegrate in the same way, or or, but or it's go weird off course. That you, it's weird that you were think like were you verbalizing my toes going to grow no. back? No. Right, but the, but the, but the but the problem that you can see what you're doing now, right, is that if you add you up all to... those little things like that, you start yeah, being like, you can't. "Well, that's because no," but you can, and but if you add up everything else, but it then becomes very dangerous. I, I was never too dangerous with it, but it just it just it's, feels very it it's like unhealthy. Yeah, to, yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's dangerous yeah. to indulge the the delusion in that regard. Yep. But is I'm it a delusion like, if everyone's <laughs> right? But like, but that's no. But it definitely right. Okay, but I okay. You're set. It definitely is right. But I still deep down half the time all th- oh, no I still deep down think right I may be right and I may be able to tap back into that again because that is because that is the real world. Oh, yeah, it's weird. But in isn't a healthy it? way, I'm just kind of excited if it ever comes back now rather than. <laughs> oh, I was having a com- the, the guy that ended up in sepsis, right? That I was the quad amputee that I was speaking about before. <clears throat> he ended up going into a drug induced psychosis. I think he he. Um, he was on quite a high a dosage in terms of his pain management and he asked for some more because he was in more pain and it just tipped him over the edge and he was in full psychosis. I love he, anyone on psychosis. Sorry, I'm just like, well, I messaged him and I'm like, I love you. <laughs> well, he said he had a full conversation with Jesus who was standing by the curtains. and I believed. Of, sorry. No, go. 
You go. No, I just I believed that I was going to go to the Holy Land. I was going to find it. I was going to get taken to the Holy Land. I've got a girl that I speak to on Instagram that's convinced that she'll be able to walk and find the Holy Land in psychosis. The thing that I and I need to I probably need to have some someone that's educated in terms of the mental health aspects of psychosis and then also educated in terms of the drugs because when you think about people that have acid trips or um, mushrooms or whatever. I've never done any of the hallucinogenics or anything like that, so I don't know. But they all then talk about going to this different plane. And I, there's a part of me that wonders whether or not the drugs allow you to tap into that same plane that they're tapping into. I, I can never take hallucinogenics because because my brain can do so, so much without anything. People are like, if I did it, it would just be the like, – you know, people talk about bad trips. I would just do a nightmare. I would just be in hell. I'm but terrified like, so, of, of it. Like, I, I yeah, that te- terrifies me having a bad trip. So I, that's why I've And it's done the it. whole, they say, like, if you go into it with the mindset that it might be bad, it will be bad. So yeah. so if, you, if you're worried it will be, it will be. There's, yeah. But not the – but so – you also you almost need someone that knows all about psychosis, all about all about the medication. Yeah. But also has experienced it. But Ooh, also that's a good you know, point. But our brains are so like because you can read about it and know about it all you like, but until I had mental health issues, I couldn't relate to anyone's struggle. Yeah. I always felt bad for people, but I had people talk about men, mental things now and I'm like completely I completely know what you're talking about. But yeah. But it also, we all have our own different interpretations of the mental health struggles. So I I match things up that, that aren't completely in It's like, you know, when people are like, oh, it's a sign. I should do this as a sign. Yeah. And all the signs and you pull them together. Like, what is it? Someone, I was re-watching Friends and someone was, she was saying, like, you know, mum, there's a sign that I should talk to my mum because this happened, this happened, this happened. There were three unrelated things that weren't really anything to do with it, but she just made it. Incent made her be like, "This is real. This is what I should do." I do that in psychosis the entire time. It's interesting on a very lower level, a non non psychosis. People, <clears throat> I was listening to a podcast because one of my friends really got into numerology and numbers and stuff, and she's like, "I keep seeing these numbers and stuff, and what do they mean?" So then you start automatically. I started looking out and seeing whether or not I'd see all these numbers, and I kept seeing these numbers. And then I listened to like the same recurring one, one more. Like I always see the clock at eleven past eleven and stuff like that, or eleven past one and whatnot. So you go, "Oh, that's a sign" or whatever. And then I was listening to a podcast, and they said. It's interesting because you might look at the time now, so it's 8.15 here. I look at the time 20,000 times a day, but it doesn't register that one time that you see a different time. That's a sign. And your brain can sort of latch on to things that you want to create a meaning rather than that they are actually meaning. Cool. Yeah, I shared like a little snippet of what some symptoms of psychosis and one of them was like l- number plates, seeing things, words in number plates and taking them as meanings and, and seeing like numbers or seeing like things at certain times and taking them as meanings. And I had several different people respond to me saying, I don't have psychosis, but I get the number plate thing. I convinced that they've like say their messages from things, but they're just like not, they're not like derailed with it. Whereas we yeah. all have, we all, we all, I think, we all, like, the world is hard. The world's We're all trying to associate meaning hard. for, for things, all, yeah. trying to find a bit of magic in something as well. That's, That's a good cool way of putting it. We are. Mm. I like, that is why, having had the psychosis, because I, I, 
has set me free in a sense that like it's it feels like a superpower like it feels like I feel like I can get in touch with the magic when I want to I don't purposely check so that's when I then got ill again the year later because the first time I was really sad second time I was really happy I was with my part I'm with my partner absolutely fantastic we were talking about getting married I get carried away really getting married away huh really getting married yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, really yeah. this time yeah so that was that's too much to me I was like this is actually going to happen like, was it the same person that you tried to find no <laughs> no I've never told the first person and I never will it's too much they don't deserve to know that it's like a guilty secret but like but so that's again in, it's a thing again in psychosis I don't, they're not all the same but there's a, a fair few overlaps that someone's convinced like the idea of getting married because it's so like you know, on a high precedent society that like it's the, the goal, the dream. You get you go to you go to school, you go to work, and then you get married, and your life's perfect. That when I'm ill, my brain's like, I want to get married. I don't, I don't really want the marriage thing, but it's seen as like a really idyllic thing. Just my brain's, like, I need to have it to make it like everything will be okay if I have this. Yeah, I think you that's are wearing a wedding like- ring though, Harriet. Do you end up getting married? That's not a wedding ring. It's just oh, I just I just I just liked it's on your when left I'm, hand. I yeah, and yeah, no, it's a signet ring. I like oh. I put it on there because it makes me feel almost like you know my my brain searching. I want I want the I want the ring in my finger. <laughs> I just put it on there. Like it just it. So you put it on there in terms urge. of okay. So it's a satisfy like it's a application of your brain rather than a. Yeah. Okay. I'm not try. I'm not try chasing the wedding thing as much because well, not as, at all because I'm like I just the ring does it. I'm like that's all I want. <laughs> does that make sense? Um, it does, but I'm worried that now you're going to start walking down the street in a white dress as well. Ah, <laughs> oh, I've intended to go buy a I white tease. dress. <laughs> no. No, my friend. No, my friend. It's 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 a, it's, a, it's almost it, it's almost a fetish thing, or isn't it? That like my friend. God, we're um, back to re- fetishes and sex calls and stuff now, are we? Are my friend, my more grown-up friend, got married years and years ago. Um, has since split with her partner, but they're not really sort of thing. The other day, she was in a house and just like found her wedding dress and tried it on and had this beautiful took took those beautiful photos and then sent them to me. And she was almost going to send them to the guy that she was dating, being like, "Look at," and she's healthy. Like it's a thing. <sighs> but no, yeah, no. I was, I'm so, not commenting on that. I'm glad she didn't send it to her current part, current boyfriend. No, but it's like, it was like, not really a consideration, but also kind of like, ooh, ooh, I'd love to be able to. I don't, we're all different, but there are overlaps. We are all different. There are, yes, yes. And when you find an overlap, because when you find a connection, because we thrive on connection, we 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 jump at it. It feels good. It's I'm like, oh, that's not just me. I thought it was just me in the whole world. <laughs> I wonder, you know how when people do, um, is it the Deb where you like it's a traditional Catholic thing that you go over your Deb and you wear the white dress and stuff and the you get what, presented um, is a Deb, debutante ball confirmation? Like you, no, it's not confirmation. Communion? It's like you maybe it's not Sorry. a Catholic thing. You know when like they go in a white dress and they present you to society and it's like now you can it's like an old fashioned thing. Now you're on the market. You can date. 
I did the Catholic thing and I did the white dress, but I didn't really feel like they gave me up to the world to date people. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's lost a fair bit of that meaning now. They just do it for the sake of it. It's called something, isn't it? I'm sure it sounds it's a like it sounds like it sounds like something that would happen like in um, what's the place? Downton Abbey. No, like that place that's, that's like abroad and everyone's like Amish or something, you know, like it just sounds yeah. like. Historically, debutante balls was an event where young women was introduced to society through the acts of social etiquette and appropriate morals. Today, it seems to be just an occasion of fun and really bad dancing. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, basically you're presented to society saying that you're on the market now and you can date. One that's sec- traditionally what it is. One second. Hello? Joe. Like, I was going to say, I wonder with the debut, like people that have gone through the debutantes, in terms of they get the white dress, it's a big deal, it's a full, like my, my brother partnered some, some of the girls for it and, and whatnot, different years obviously. But I wonder whether or not there's a lower divorce rate amongst the people that have done it purely because they've had, they're not rushing to put the white dress on and get down the, and have their big day. It's almost like they've kind of had a mini version of it. I don't know. No, but it'd be, I get, it'd be I get, interesting. I get, I get that thought that thought train though. Yeah, I don't know. Like, but you can feel whatever. It, I don't know. You can feel whatever it is. Is is it society? Is it how we've been raised that we're like, you know, the, the I wedding think it's is a like, large societal thing. But like, I I also think it's like forget how society works. As humans, we want like approval, and this is like the day where you get to shine, like you know, and be like the, the best of like you know, in caveman times. Everyone else is revering you. Like I think it's like we've got this thing, and like everyone deserves their day. That's quite a realistic thing, rather than a, everyone deserves their year. You know, like I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're really sidetracked. So you were talking about psychosis. How did you get hospital? Like, where were you found on that first one when you were driving around? How did you okay. become um, to be in hospital? So I ran out of petrol while I was on the mid- <laughs> in the middle of the motorway. I was convinced you were driving around for that ro- that long that you ran out of petrol. I was, I was drive. I was convinced that well, for one, I, yeah, I was I was driving for hours, ill, and just. Um, but like, you know, I, I was convinced that, um, like I'd heard a thing saying that when your car gets down low enough, it'll pop up with how many miles left. So while I knew it was completely reckless, I was driving until it popped up with those miles. I ain't never did. So I continued. I was like, fuck it. Like, I, you know, I, I'm go- I've been told they'll pop up with miles. So like, I'm going to keep going. And then it, I drove it out. So it was so flat out of petrol that the, like when the, car, the, the police picked it up and stuff, and they couldn't get it started again. And um, so then... So I then sat. So I was sat in the middle of it. So it was like dark at night. Sat on the motorway. Didn't I, I realised a little bit too late that probably it'd be good to move into the hard shoulder. Um, didn't couldn't do that. Forgot to put my hazard lights on. Waited, convinced that this is it. This is what I've been working towards. I'm going to die now. I'm going to get relive it. I'm going to get hit by a car, but I will die this time sat there crying just waiting for that feeling just so I was like you know I felt almost felt ready for it like I just um and then a car went into the back of me um but managed to slow down from like 70 80 miles an hour to 
just dent my car slightly. Wow. And then people got out and then I tapped to the window and stuff. And I thought they were all actors and just pretending to care. So I just stayed in my car, just like, and they put their hazards on so it was safe. Um, and the police eventually arrived and got me out of my car and put me in a van. And I entered like into this absolutely mad nightmare world where like I have no idea what was real and what wasn't. I then found out afterwards, like 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 weeks afterwards, I was put into like a jail cell while they were trying to find me at a hospital bed overnight. So I was kept in a jail cell for hours. Um It was probably the safest place for you though at that point. Like you're not running around, you're not Right, but I but what I remember but what I remember of it fed into my nightmare and I, I like like I I was convinced that I'd had this happy I've convinced that I'd had this happy life, but in reality I'd done all these evil things and was getting shown this happy life at first, and then like eat every single day shown a happy life first, and then really I was wrong, and I'd gone around the whole world and and I hurt the babies and and killed and cut up and eaten everyone's babies oh my and I'd God. actually done it and like I remember doing it I'm like I remember oh, the power of the mind man and then so and then in reality I was kept in this police cell in this room like it was like this slab I don't, like it I, it can't I can't have been hallucinating that it was just a slab of the, in the room because um and really, I was shown a happy life I'd lived and then been like, actually, no, none of this is real. You did these evil things. We've been keeping you here for 80 years, replaying this nightmare and then redoing and like cutting you up and eating you and raping you every single day for years. Because how dare you do that to all of the kids in the world or like loads of babies. And then I was like having parts of the treatment done to me freaking out and then I was like I did do it like I did it I know I did it I like I deserve all this treatment like fine like I deserve it all and I said that and then I suddenly like came to and was in a hospital and like and like I, I, I don't know who I'd confessed it to or whether I confessed what I don't know just said like yeah I did it and then but I just snapped out of it the relief <laughs> The relief that I felt from 2019 has saved me. Like, like getting sectioned again in 2020 was hard, but nothing compared to what I lived the first one that I'm just relieved that that is not real all the time. Like, and it's all very well to be – like I know that we were having a joke and stuff about laughing about the some of the psychosis that you experienced, but that that's the ugly side of the other end of it. You know, it's not just – convincing that's, myself that I was getting married that's horrific that's the, yeah that's yeah and like I eventually closed my eyes and was living in hell where like all the bodies or the my the idea my idea of hell like we're all like squidged together all these bodies like raping each other and like like licking each other and like at each other end for eternity and I was just lying there not, not wanting to be touched but you couldn't escape it forever and I was lying in that I have to remind myself well, I don't have to that is what stops me from chasing psychosis to get the highs. It's interesting that you word it like that, chasing it. That's an interesting yeah. terminology. So that you it's, it's almost like you it, have a choice. It it's a relief 
I didn't have a it, it's a, I didn't have a choice both times. No, it's a relief to experience psychosis to experience like to experience the good part, even the even the challenging parts of psychosis, just because what I've had to wrap my head around and what I've had to get used to in my actual real life is so, so traumatic and so huge. And so I don't know how to accept it all that psychosis gives me a break from having to deal with it. Mm. Whether it's good or bad or worse, it is a break from what I know to be horrendous. Mm. Um, yeah. So now, now I'm so I, I got really excited thinking I was going to get married, but also there was ill signs in there. And then I went to the hospital over and over and over again and said, I need help. I think I'm in psychosis. I thought I was pregnant. Like that's also a thing with people like in psychosis thinking they're pregnant and lost these babies and things. Um, I was convinced I made them give me a pregnancy test and I like, I like weed all over the floor, convinced that I was breaking water. Like, like but like, then I, afterwards, after I covered from that the second time, I got told that I had bipolar and that then made sense that both the highs and the lows would make me equally ill. And then I learned to not chase the highs. No, do you have any control over the lows at all? I have, the only control I have, so... I've had three, three and a half months of, of not being able to function and it, it's all I could experience every single second of the day. And like, for some people that won't be that long, but it was like, that then led me to think I had to die to escape it the first time. They're the worst things ever. Medication doesn't really help it. It's just waiting out. Having had three, I have just have to wait them out. Now I get that. The first time I was in hospital, 2019, really low so I was really really high afterwards like I got I survived that horrible nightmare and I was just happy and and not uncontrollably high just like extremely happy that I hadn't actually done any of those things when I got ill the second time and I was happy going into it when I came out of hospital I then went into a low automatic I couldn't help I couldn't I could feel it coming I couldn't stop it because I'd had such a high to, in the sense that if I can feel myself getting carried away with something, I could stay up all night and I could get carried away and, and have these like wonderful thoughts. But the chances of that then leading to, well, one, me getting ill but in hospital, but the, but the come down, the like sober come down is so terrifying that I don't chase it. Has I just have been... to actively... I mean, uh, the accident and the mental health and the struggles in terms of the... Um, recovery and everything, and dealing with your friends' uh, death and and all of all of that aspect of the last eight years. Has there been anything that's been positive that's come out of what you've gone through? Yeah, uh, I, I normally. Um, Loads of things, like mainly, like I'm just like the happiest I've ever been. I feel like because 
I'm mainly just focusing on myself. I've worked so hard, gone through so many horrible physical things, so many horrible mental things, that the joy that I feel, that is like a real joy all the time, even when something's bad happening, I know we're all going to learn from it and we're going to benefit. Like, to the extent that, like, I don't know, because I grieved for Becky in different ways, but never really grieved for the life that I lost. So the joy, and I would never be as active as I was, and that was a massive part, and I try not to focus on that because it makes me really sad. But I just am low-key, like, excited about life. Like, It's made you really appreciate life more. Yeah. But even, like, for all of the struggles, all of the ups and the downs, like, people say, like, you know, like, would you change it? Like, would you, like, take the crash back on all these things? And I'm like, no, I, like, I, I, I honestly feel like I'm, I would never have reached this level of happiness. That, like, isn't there all the time, but it's still, I still appreciate everything. Like, I can't, like, I would never reach, yeah, so, like, because people, you know, so someone dies and people are like, oh, I'm going to remember them. I'm going to always think of them. And then people move on and they don't. And then, like, there are people that are grieving. They're like, oh, everyone's forgot about them because they're living their life. I will never, and it, I, it's one of those, I don't like the cliche of saying it, but I will never, ever, ever forget that Becky and forget that she's died and forget how much she went to me. Mainly, like, well, like, for loads of reasons, but primarily because the nerve pain in my foot means I have pins and needles every single day, 24 hours, meaning that whenever I get like distracted, I think, oh, and then I think back to my foot, my foot reminds me immediately of all of it. Hmm. So you've got that constant reminder there. But yeah, yeah. Like, What made you reach out to the paramedic? To, to get in contact to find out yeah um to make the 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 way the fire service um documentary they thought it'd be good to get the police that attended the scene some heat pa- the paramedic had messaged me on twitter after having found my blog and i did a unilad video where the video would like has like 2.8 million views he found my blog and then like or found found out that I was alive and messaged me on Twitter, and then I invited him to do the documentary, and he said yes. Did he fill in any? Or he obviously filled in blanks for you. What it was like. But yeah. you said that he thought up until that point that you had died. He was told by the staff when he phoned to find out what had happened. There's a disconnect between paramedics, like ambulance staff, finding it, they save people and then they never find out whether they lived. And he tried to find out and he was just told that I died. Hmm. Are you still in justice of that? I I just. I know. Well, hopefully, him being able to connect with you and seeing that his efforts weren't in vain that um hopefully that went towards towards his feeling obviously there's a strong road traffic um message in terms of all of this i mean don't drive drunk don't get in races on the road all of the cock you know all all of the incidents on the roads i've started talking about it plus like i don't know i don't know about the statistics where you are there's like on britain's roads five people are killed every single day and 
60 people every single day are injured by car by vehicles and it, of all of the injuries that happen of, of all the of all the crashes and all the the incidents that happen on the road that generally only ever happen when someone isn't paying attention whether whether like it's not when they're in control of the car that they, ha- that they happen talk to me about your blog this too shall pass i started it um, when I had a more of a breath, my brain sort of came into function. I realised that it really, I really struggled with um, people. People just, people just would see me like, or people assumed it was, just, it was all about people. People assumed that my life was back to normal after I got out of hospital, and I just, I found it really, and like, or like, or I'd use a wheelchair, but people just thought I could still do things, and I was like, and I just, it was it became really important for me to work through the frustration that I don't want to play the victim, but I want people to at least appreciate that life is very hard and has, will be very hard, and it's that kind of like propelled me to write it. Then I started getting messages from people that had said that, like, learning what I'd gone through and had seeing snippets of it gave them the strength to deal with things that they hadn't been able to in their life, and it had really, like, helped them live again. And like, in some really extreme examples, and then that helped me to continue writing it. I'm writing a memoir to kind of reach more people. I just want to like. It's been it's been therapeutic, but I just feel like, especially the psychosis, I feel is very interesting. I just and I want to just like and 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 raise awareness that well, yeah, of road safety and of psychosis because I didn't know it was psychosis the first time around, and like people that in my life or people that like didn't get it, even when I told them that I had psychosis, they were like angry at me, thought I was making it all up, like you know, just being dramatic and just shouted at me and argued with me. Yeah, I felt like I, like I had my one friend from university. A friend a, argued with me while I was driving down like the motorway to before, but the police she was phoning and she was like telling me off and telling me I was wrong and stupid. And when I was in that state of illness, like it's just dangerous. Like when I was in that stage of illness, anything someone said to me, I thought it was the opposite. I thought I was in the opposite world. Everything's opposite. So when someone said don't do it, I took it as a I don't really want to do it, but they're but they're saying no, which means yes, so I have to. Like it was very, and then mm. yeah, it, I just had to. Yeah, I've had lots to be with. I'm I'm like I'm fine. I'm I'm good. Like all of the time, and then if I'm ill, I'm really very ill. There's no there's no in between, and it's just some people are like can't compute that. Well, no, people that don't understand mental health issues or haven't, if you haven't had anything to relate to, you can read about it all you like, but if you've never had an experience of it, it's really hard to support someone in it. Mm. Do you find that now the majority of your friends have, or have you maintained those friendships that you had prior to the accident or have you found that your friendship groups have sort of migrated to people that have, had more experience with either mental health or loved ones with mental health so they understand it more i've not i've kind of break away from all of my friends before mainly because i've moved home so i'm no longer living with all the people i was at university with that stayed in that area for a while and i was friends with them after for a bit but then i got ill and i haven't really i like deleted lots of people and showered at lots of people 
then they, they cut, I kind of cut all those ties and was like, well, I'm all right. I came back home and then kind of, because it had been so hit by car after 2014, psychosis 2019, came out of psychosis and that escaping the nightmare and rejoicing in life was so, so freeing that when I then went in back into my hometown in Birmingham and made friends in my local pub and a boyfriend in the pub and stuff, I'd worked through so much pain and managed to over, like like accept what what had happened that I didn't need people to really like the people that in in the interim what didn't know how to support me when I was just really tired and I couldn't wheel and I just wanted so I say to my housemate like can you like take me out for a wheel they said no take yourself out maybe it'll help you sleep and like tire you out and people just weren't very supportive because they knew me before but all these new people kind of only knew me as I am now and don't really have the old me to kind of mm. compare I, I don't know if that is everything but I feel like at least for me anyway that makes me think that they kind of like accept me for who I am now mm. no, rather than struggling to change did I read that you were writing a book as well yeah I'm writing a memoir I'm calling it throne as in throne into the park 50 meters and my life was thrown off course and mm-hmm. uh, and also in pottery I think it's called throwing when you make something out of like clay and form to make something beautiful um and it's yeah it's starting with episode of psychosis and just then bounces around between the mental health struggles and also the physical struggles and just do you have a publisher like... for that no okay yeah so I'm um in the middle of applying for literary agents and searching for literary agents I've got I've got I wrote hundred thousand words I've got loads of it all down I did it all out of me ages ago and now I'm kind of just like I'm building up my social media platform so my Twitter's almost 17,000 like I feel like for more people that I have yeah thank you it's taken a long time yeah, I started Jesus. to build up my Instagram now a bit and like I feel like either way having more people to reach whether I get it published the traditional way or self-published but hopefully I'll get a publisher can you reach out directly to publishers do you have to go through a literary agent you have to go through literary agents yeah and they get a lot of they get especially in lockdown they get a lot of a lot of people that wrote books that are just like they get I don't know how many a day but a lot to go through so it's hard to make yourself stand out unless you have like social media platforms that are getting good reception generally you need it's okay so we need a publisher we need a literary agent but more so we just need a publisher no um, the, the literary agent then gets no the they get a cut they, they i'm sort, sure they, they get a cut of it too you get more of the yeah. biscuit yourself mate and then um what do we need <laughs> i don't know tv show movie netflix yeah. like, listen to <laughs> love it it's it's the whole like I, I want it so I helped people with my blog and like I still write a blog and people benefit from it but then I want you know you can't and I'm trained to be a counsellor and I'm, I'm, I want to help people I've, I can see all the pain in the world and also all the joy and I want help to help others see it but you know when you want to like if you want to learn something like I've had like times and like oh, I've had a month off drinking so I've read like loads of books about like alcoholism and different things or I'm reading books about public speaking to help my public speaking if you want to learn something in the world 
I know it's changing. That's why we're all doing podcasts and listening to books because it's all it's, and, and watching YouTube videos rather than books. But, but someone said to me, books are going to die out. But I think generally, like, there are loads of people. If you want to learn something, you want to go away and you want to read about it, you want to be told, this is what you need to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Harriet, you're a gem. You're really into, like, the last, for what you've gone through and then how positive your outlook is now. Thank you. Incredible. And thank you as well, particularly for, like, like, I haven't had a conversation where we talked, because people are quite scared of talking about psychosis, Um, like, in my life. I don't, like. So I go very extreme. My partner had to deal with it and can't and, and needs to kind of probably talk to someone about it because it, it was like real, like a like a massive trauma for him to deal with. Mm. I was horrendous. I can't really talk about all the different effects of it. So you've helped me kind of explore a little the thing portion again. of it. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. Well, I just allow people to chat, and it, you know that's what that's what it is. So you obviously felt comfortable enough to to go down that path so I thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing I thought that's that's kind of what you wanted isn't it I looked yeah, at your thing exactly. and you're like yeah <laughs> I was like I can do it because I did my first I did my first presentation at public speaking yesterday which is like in front of on a stage in front of people and I was like ah and um at the end they gave me feedback and I was like it was about my story and I was like I don't know how heavy to go because surely if you go quite like oh this is all tragedy 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 it's um makes you switch off a bit and and they were like no like you know look I think people will switch off the benefit of a podcast is that if people don't want to listen to the story they'll read the blurb they'll figure it out and they can switch off if they want to switch off but I was reading um, a post that somebody did and she's an ultra runner and now does inspirational speaking and stuff and she was talking about when she initially got into that field that how people wanted to hear more about the adversity and not just the good times and they got more out out of it than that. And I suppose I feel the same way in regards to if you can talk about what your experiences are and someone else can go, wow, that's so much worse than what I'm going through. And that means that they have the ability then to draw strength from that other person's story and get through whatever they're going through. Cause we've all got stuff we're going through and it's different for different people and everyone's lived a different life. So the enormity of it um, to one person might seem quite small, but to them it's the worst they've ever gone through. So it's an enormous hurdle. So I think it would, you know, it's just all about being kind and listening to other people's stories and helping each other out, really. That's it. I love that. Thank you for coming on, Harriet. I'll link your blog, This uh, this Too Shall Pass, and um, your Twitter and socials and stuff in the show notes, everyone, so you can jump on and follow Harriet. And Thank you very much. Yeah. What, and while you're there, follow me because there's a whole heap of you that aren't following me. So do that <laughs> send send me this send it me after you've done it it sends you this the po- the podcast not this okay the finished result please hang on a minute let me oh, let me hang up my world <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> that's all right we'll leave this in thanks harriet cheers 
Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 